about how to have a fresh anointing. The Lord pulled me in that direction a few weeks ago about how to walk in a fresh, fresh anointing. Praise God. God's people need to understand that there is available a fresh, fresh anointing. And it's no different than you like fresh food, you like fresh drinks, right? You don't like something that's a week old, you want something that's fresh. And thank God there is a fresh, fresh anointing available for every child of God. Now we see in Psalm 92 and verse 9 it says, For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn thou shalt exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Notice that phrase. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eyes shall see the desire upon mine enemies. And my ears shall hear the desire of the wicked that rise up against me. Now we have to understand this. I, this, this dawned upon me one day as I was reading different psalms and so forth. And even to this day. That you know David was not writing these psalms from a church sanctuary. Paul didn't write most of his letters sitting in a church pew. He wrote most of his letters from a prison cell. <laughs> and David wrote his letters when he was being chased after. And I don't mean just like plain it tag. I'm talking like we're coming after your head. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's interesting, you know, God will surround us with the right words and David Though he was imperfect and natural, he had a heart after God. And I can identify with that, amen, because none of us are perfect in the flesh, but he had a heart after God. Now, how would you like to have all your sins written in a book for the whole world to see for thousands of years? <laughs> I don't think any of us would, you know. They probably weren't thinking about that, I'm sure. But, you know, David had a heart after God. And when he was being chased and when he was being harassed and when his life was coming this close to being taken from him, you know what God would do is he would give him a psalm, a, a, a song, a psalm, same thing. And he would sing that psalm. He surrounds us with songs of deliverance. He says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. And so these psalms that are written that we have here in the Bible, 150 of them, were given by inspiration of God when David was in a bad place. You know what I'm saying? When he was in a hard place. And God gave him to this 23rd Psalm. When he had need, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Praise God. So it's interesting that when you face adversity in life, you know, we're saying, God, please send help. I need help right now. And God says, all right, sing this song right now. You're like, what? No, Lord, I need help right now. Say, Lord, I need help right now. Can you help me right now? The Lord says, sing this song right now. No, Lord, I need help right now. Do you understand, Lord? Am I the only one that's felt that way? Yes. And you, you, know, you know, you want to just, you don't want to sing. Lord, I need real help. The Lord says, no, sing this song. Lord, I need help. Do you understand? You have this little argument with God. It says, no, I gave you a song. Now sing that song and then deliverance will come. Praise the Lord. And there's something about a song in our heart that will lift us out, the Bible says, out of the miry clay and put our feet upon a rock and establish our goings. Mm -hmm. Glory be to God. Amen? Mm -hmm. I almost got raptured yesterday. <laughs> and I was in the car and I, was, I got caught up in the spirit of, 
of, of praise and worship. And I mean, there was no music playing. It was just me and the Lord. You know what I'm saying? I was by myself. I was with the Lord. And, uh, and I mean to tell you, you think, how can this get any better? You, just get, you get caught up in a spirit of worship and praise, and then you sense His angels. You sense His presence right there. You know what I mean? And the Lord was to show me. He says, Keith, this is available to you anytime you want. He goes, not just for special occasions. Not just when your back's up against the wall and you have nowhere else to go. He said, you can, you can tap into this every single day. And so I tapped into a fresh anointing yesterday. Glory be to God. But, you know, we have to understand that when David wrote these psalms, he was not writing from a church sanctuary. He was not writing these from, per se, a holy place. He was writing them when his, he was in trouble, when he was being chased. I mean, King Saul, they become demon-possessed King Saul. He got so jealous of David. You know, it, it all started like this. At first, David was in good company with uh, King Saul because he had killed Goliath. And right, right prior to this, you know, all Israel, Goliath and the Philistines were coming down. And Goliath would go out there once in the morning, once at night, and he would taunt. He was about 12 foot tall. Okay? You think he could dunk a basketball? <laughs> He's about 12 foot tall. And he would come out and he would curse the God of Israel. And the Bible says that all of Israel would shake because of fear. I mean, their knees are having fellowship with one another. Because <laughs> Goliath is a type of the devil. But here comes David off of the backside of the desert tending his father's sheep. He's the youngest of, what is it, seven or eight kids, something like that. You know, he's the youngest. And he came down there while this was going on, remember that, to bring uh, uh, cheese and bread to his, uh, his brothers. Sounds like pizza to me. <laughs> Says he brought bread and cheese. Here comes the domino man. And he comes down and he happens to hear what's going on. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he, that's an unusual thing to say. <laughs> Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And you know, his brothers, they said, man, what do you, who do you think you are? What do you think you're trying to prove? Go back to the backside of the, the desert with those few sheep, he said. They're making light of him. And he says, no, isn't, is there, there's a cause here. You remember what the rest of the story. He decided to take on Goliath. And Goliath came at him and cursed him by the name of his gods. And he said this, he said, you come at me with a sword and a spear, Goliath. He says, I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And this day, this day, I will cut your head off and I'll give your carcass to the birds of the air. He's talking trash to him. Sometimes you need to do that to the enemy. You think you're going to do that devil? Here's what I'm going to do to you. You know, the devil starts messing with you. you talking about your past and your future. You say, devil, do you know what's in your future? A lake of fire that burns forever? That's your future, Satan. That's not my future. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> and you, you talk back. But you know, like what Mark Hankins said. He said, never run at your giant with your mouth closed. David didn't tiptoe towards the enemy like this. The Bible says he ran towards Goliath and he opened his mouth. He says, this day I'm going to do this. This day I will do this. this. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. He released his faith. Glory to God. 
Well, you can't do that without a fresh anointing. Because he said this, because when his, his peers were saying, you can't take on this, he's, he's a giant. He's been a warrior from his youth. <laughs> you know? And if you read the, if you read the details about uh, his, even his armor and his spear and stuff, his spear head was 40 pounds. Think about it. The, the head on the spear was 40 pounds. Think about that. And it's not talking about his coat of mail. That doesn't mean, you know, letters. <laughs> it's talking about the armor that he had on. Just amazing. But David said, you know, when I was tending my father's sheep on the backside of the desert, there came a bear one day and took out one of the sheep. Took out one of the sheep. And uh, he says, I went after him. Now, most of us would say, let him have it. <laughs> that's all right. We still got 99 left here, you know. <laughs> but see, that's not the nature of a good shepherd. The Bible says the good shepherd will leave the 99 and go after the one. That's a good shepherd. And he was a natural shepherd. And then he became the shepherd of Israel. But he, he, he went after Now, you know, you don't go after lions and bears in the natural. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, strong those, you know how strong those things are. They'll rip you to pieces in the natural. You know what I'm saying? I've seen films of uh, grizzly bears that went after, just sniffed them out and went after them, you know. And I mean, they're climbing trees to get away from these bears. And I mean, it's a, it's a bad day when you come in contact with an angry grizzly. But here David takes on this bear with his bare hands. He didn't even have a knife or anything. He took on this giant... And he, he said he grabbed them by the beard. <laughs> it's one of those Duck Dynasty bears. You know what I'm saying? He grabbed them by the beard. And he slew them. Amen. He said, not only that, another day on another occasion there came a lion. You know, Lion King shows up. And uh, takes out one of the, the lambs. Again. He's, it's, you know, he's watching his father's sheep. Takes out, he goes after the lion and does the same deal and, sl and slayed that lion with his bare hands. Think about that. Now he's out there. It's just him, God, and the sheep. There's no one out there. there uh, uh, CNN is not out there. There's not cameras on him seeing this stuff happen. He's out there all alone. Okay? Well, CNN wouldn't show it anyway, but, you know. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> and... Uh, the point I'm trying to make is this, is the anointing is what enabled him to slay two, these two giants, the bear and the lion. From the natural, you can't do that. And he said, when I faced the Philistine, he said, and this is one of the ways you stir up yourself, is you, rem you remind yourself of previous victories. You stir up yourself by way of remembrance. That's what Peter said. Though you know these things, I'm going to stir you up by way of remembrance. And it's so important. That you and I today, that we remember uh, victories that God did for us, even if it seems small. Even if it seems small. And you recount those things and you recall those things. Remember when your back was up against the wall a couple of years ago. You remember when you were facing adversity, whatever it was, it could be anything. Could have been a relationship, could have been financially, could have been physically in your body. And I look at my life and I say, oh God, you, you've brought me through so many things. Amen? And it's so, it's so easy to forget 
those things that God does for us on a regular basis. Amen? And so he went after, he said, the same God that delivered me out of the mouth of the lion and the bear is the same God that will deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. Glory to God. Now the thing is, it doesn't matter how tall your giant is. Goliath was almost 12 foot tall. Almost 12 foot tall. I mean, even if he's 11 foot tall, that's big. Okay, we're talking up to this ceiling right here. Okay, that's big. Okay, can you imagine the size of his hand and everything? The issue wasn't how big his giant was. The issue was he doesn't have a covenant with God. He said, David, look, he said, look, he's an uncircumcised. Now, circumcision in the Old Testament was a sign of the covenant. Okay? Now, in the New Testament, we're the circumcision of the heart. God takes out the old stony heart and gives us a heart of flesh. Amen? How many of you are glad you're living in the New Testament? Amen. Thank you, Lord. And so, he said, look, the issue is he's, he's an uns- he does not have a covenant with God. And he's cursing the God of Israel. I'm going after him. Because David knew he had a covenant with God. And see, there is more behind just, just that. He put, picked up five smooth stones. Why is that? Because Goliath had four brothers. He's going to take them all out. He's going to take them all out. Amen? Goliath from Gath. And he takes that stone, and there is more behind that stone than just, just a swing like this, you know? I believe someone said that he was laughing so hard, he went back like this, to his helmet just flipped back because he was laughing at this little teenager. He was 17 years old. Think about that. When David fa- faced Goliath, he was a 17-year-old teenager just barely shaving. <laughs> and he, he was probably laughing. He threw his head back like that. And the David said, there's a, there's a little spot right there. Wham! And the Holy Ghost took that rock, sunk it in his forehead. He fell to the ground, went over, took his own sword out. That sword was about six foot long. And he took that sword and he chopped his head off. That's what he said he was going to do. And he held up his head. He, you know, he carried that head around. He took it to the king carrying that head. You know, you see people that are good hunters and so forth. Now they've got deer on their wall, elk on their wall, bears on their wall, heads I'm talking about. Then you see Goliath's head on the wall. That's ugly. And he would carry that thing around and show people, look at what I look at what I, look at what the Lord did. <laughs> That's what it says he did. He's an enemy of God. So David t- taught us how to get ahead in life. I know it's bad interpretation. Well, he really did. Not like you think. But the anointing. Now David said this: I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Folks, you don't realize how bad you need a fresh anointing. You don't need just another sermon. You don't just need another message. You need the anointing. How many of you came for the anointing this morning? Fresh anointing. Well, we have to be aware of drains in our life that try to suck out the anointing. Drains. Let's talk about that. The Bible says lay aside the sins in Hebrews. It says let us lay aside the sins and the weights that what? That easily beset us, that keep us, that hold us back. Now there are some things that are actual sins that can hold you back. And there are people who get caught up in sin. And that's a a given. That will hold you back spiritually. That will steal the anointing from your life. 
when you're walking in open sin. It just will. But then there's weights that are not necessarily sins, but they're things that, that, that pull from you. And there are people sometimes that try to pull from you. There are drains in your life that sometimes you have to be careful and say, no, I'm not going to get around this person because they become a drain for me or at least really limit your time. Okay? But sometimes the enemy will say, well, you need that person in your life. Do you really? If someone's a real drain in your life and they're sucking the light, I don't care if they're a believer. Do you know believers can yield to the enemy? But you don't want someone in your life that's going to be a drain in your life, constantly draining you. You want somebody, uh, for the most part, that's going to put something into you. Praise God. Now, we have this situation here. Go to Mark chapter 6 real quick here. Mark chapter 6. Now, the Lord understood this. And even in His ministry on this earth, the most successful ministry, ministry that there ever was was Jesus' ministry. There's no greater example. But, you know, they were being... Challenge from every which way. Now, before we read this scripture, let me set the the uh, the, the, the scene of what's happening here. They, the the disciples just came to Jesus and told him, and gave him report that they just captured John the Baptist and that they beheaded him, which is Jesus' first cousin. And the disciples are distraught over this. Pick it up in verse twenty nine. It says, "And when the disciples heard of it, they came, they took up the corpse and laid it in a tomb." The headless corpse. And it says in verse 30, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told them all things, uh, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, and notice this, Come apart yourselves into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. Now I saw a sign, a bumper sticker one time, and it said this, Jesus told them, He said, come apart and pray. Come apart. Alright? And I saw this bumper sticker, I really liked it, and it said this, come apart, lest you come apart. <laughs> Amen? Play on words, come apart, lest you come apart. Have you ever felt like you were falling apart before? Falling into pieces? Well, we all have, haven't we? We've all been there and done that more times than I like to think. But Jesus says, come apart unto a desert place. Now you would think that Jesus would be like this, this high motivating leader that cracks the whip and says, come on guys, we've got to get the job done here. There's a lot to have to do. I've only got three and a half years. We've got to get this job done. But Jesus knew what His disciples were facing. These were drains. They just got the worst news that John the Baptist, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, was just beheaded by a demon-possessed woman. By the way, John the Baptist is not beheaded anymore. <laughs> you will see him in heaven. Amen. They might have took his flesh out, but they couldn't take out the spirit. Amen. But Jesus knew to come apart, get refreshed, so that they could face the task at hand in the days to come. And we're talking about a fresh anointing and why it's so important to have a fresh anointing. We saw last week that in order to have a fresh anointing, we have to understand revelation knowledge. I want to talk a little bit more about that today. Now in Mark, Matthew, 5, or Matthew 16, let's go back over there again 
and we'll cover some territory that we didn't cover last week. But in Matthew 16, Revelation knowledge. Can we say that? Revelation. We would call that revealed knowledge from heaven. I heard someone say it like this there can be no dedication without a revelation. There can be no dedication without a revelation. When you have revelation of any given subject, you don't wrestle with it anymore. Amen? I don't wrestle anymore to think that Jesus Christ is my healer. I don't wrestle with that. There was a time that I did. But you know what? I've experienced Him. I've walked with Him. I've experienced it time and time again. God's healing power in my life. Amen? But it didn't just happen. I got revelation of Jesus taking my, not only my sins, but my sicknesses and diseases. It's real to me. And if somebody asked me, Keith, did Jesus take all of your sins when you, when you got saved? I said, yep, 100%. 100%. And to the degree that Jesus Christ took my sins is to the same degree that I take His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For for he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who didn't know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, now here on this earth. And the Lord posed this question to me some time ago. He said, no, Keith, he goes, did I take 90% of your sin? I knew where he was going with that. He said, did I take 70% of your sin? I said, no. He said, I took it all, didn't I? I said, yeah. Yeah. He said, you might say, I took 100% of your sin so that you could become 100% righteous now here on this earth. Now, righteousness is not something you attain or you work for. It's a gift. Romans 5.17 says, for by the offense of one man, Adam, many were made sinners. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of of righteousness. Notice that gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. I receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, but when I do that, I'm going to reign in this life. And so will you. Amen? See, righteousness is not something for the sweet by and by, off in the future when we die and go to heaven. You're, see, there are no unrighteous people that even go to heaven. If you're not righteous on the earth, when it comes, when if you leave this earth, if you're not righteous, you know where you go to that hot place. H-E double toothpicks. You understand what I mean? <laughs> right? That's where the unrighteous go. But when you're righteous, that gives you a legal entry to go into heaven. Praise the Lord. And when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you became righteous. Hallelujah. You didn't work for it. It was a gift that was granted to you. So there can be no dedication without a revelation of righteousness. Now, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, awake to righteousness and sin not. One of the biggest keys to not sinning as a believer is to awake to the fact that you're the righteousness of God, and then you're not going to want to sin. You're not going to want to mess up. It's in you to not do that. Hallelujah. Instead of beating people over the head, stop sinning, stop sinning, stop sinning. When you wake up to the fact that, hey, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, righteous people don't do that. Righteous people don't act ugly like that. 
And even if you do, you've got the, your advocate Jesus to stand there and help you, lift you up. Amen. Now, Matthew 16, we see this in verse 13 again. It says, When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say you are John the Baptist. Some say Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. In verse 15, He saith unto them, But who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now last week we brought out the fact, I wanted to touch on this again, I didn't feel like we were finished with this, that Jesus asked a simple question. What are people saying about me? What do they say about me? Who do they say that I am? Now he's getting to a point here. And the, you know, and some of the answers that came back were, of course, John the Baptist, you know, Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. These are some big names here. That didn't satisfy Jesus. He asked his disciples, he said, okay, that's what they said, but what do you say? What do you have to say? And I submit this to you today, it's what you say about Jesus that, that matters. What others are saying about Him really doesn't matter, but what you say about Him is what matters. And his, Peter said this, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now notice, I love the response of Jesus. He said, Simon, flesh, in verse 17, He said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. In other words, this information didn't come by flesh, but my Father which is in heaven. And so he goes on to say, I say unto you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay? Now, we know that Peter got information, in other words, there was knowledge that was revealed to him, but it didn't come through the five physical senses, what you could feel, taste, touch, smell, so forth and so on. We call the five physical senses. But he got information, but how did it come? There was a download of wisdom, a revelation that came from the Father that revealed to Peter, he's the Christ, he's the Son of the living God. And so he voiced that, he gave voice to that. And Peter the Lord said, Jesus said to him, you are blessed, Simon. And he says, in fact, I'm going to build my church. Now, he didn't build the church on Peter. That's where people missed it. Denominations have missed it. Okay? Peter said, some people come up and said that Peter was the first pope. No, 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 no. Because you'll read on down in verse 17, if you look down, um, Actually, verse 21, it says, From this time forth Jesus showed him, uh, Jesus to show his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Look at verse 22, it says, Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, and said, Be it far from thee, Lord, it shall not be unto you. And he turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Uh-oh. For you are an offense to me, and thou savorest not the things, or you don't value the things that be of God and those that be of, but those that be of men. So we know that in the same 
just a few minutes later after this initial, Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And now Jesus talks about going to the cross. He didn't understand that. He's trying to figure it out, humanly speaking. He said, Lord, be it far from you. You're not going to do this. We're going to make you a king. That's what they wanted to do. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, if Jesus was the, or if Peter was the rock that he's going to build the church on, he just made a major mistake here. Because one, in one hand, Peter's quoting from revelation knowledge. On the second hand, he's talking from the devil's wisdom. Let me give you, give you a phrase here. Good advice isn't always godly advice. And I, I found that through the years. Sometimes people have, they have good ideas, but you know what? What we need is God ideas. Because it's God's ideas about things that make a difference. Amen? God, the Lord told Peter, He says, I'm going to build my church. Now, it's not talking about the, the man Peter building his church on him. He's, what he's referring, I believe, is he's referring to revealed knowledge. He says, I will build my church on revealed knowledge. And he says, the governments of hell will not be able to stop this. Why is that so important? Because when you get revelation knowledge of something, whew, glory be to God, you will never be bored again. You see, if Christianity bores you, you don't have a revelation of it. Amen? We call this revealed or revelation knowledge. This is knowledge that didn't come through the five physical senses. And if you go to Matthew chapter 4 here, Got to move a little quicker here. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter four. Say revelation knowledge. Okay. I'm sure everyone here in this room has experienced this. Matter of fact, some of you have shared some things with me the Lord showed with you, and it it blessed my socks off. I had to go buy a new pair of socks after you shared that with me. But there's some of you here in this room that have shared certain things with me. Amen? That the Lord showed you. And I thought, man, I, that had to be revelation knowledge. It just blessed me so much. It's prideful to think, for a pastor to think that God can't give revelation knowledge to the people in his congregation. It should be, the, it ought to be that every believer in Jesus Christ is receiving revelation that we can help each other. It's for the purpose of helping one another. It's not for the purpose of saying, look at how smart I am. Amen? Because it didn't come from you anyway. It came from the Lord. Hey, praise God. Any good thing that comes from us, we ought to give the credit right back to the Lord. Because, man, I'm telling you, you see any good thing in any of us, we ought to, say, we ought to be quick to say, it's because of the Lord. I didn't come up with that on my own. Amen? Revelation knowledge. All right. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. And when the tempter, notice the devil's called the tempter, came to him, he said, If you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, Now here the devil, Jesus is speaking back to the devil here. I love this. He answered and said, uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Word. Notice that phrase, every word, that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, see the word every word there? 
the word word, there's two Greek words for the word word in the New Testament. It's, the first one is logos, and the second one for word is rhema, R-H-E-M-A. Okay? Now, this word here is not logos. It's actually, I looked it up. I have a strong concordance right on my phone. And it's the Greek word rhema, which means revealed knowledge spoken. Revealed knowledge spoken. Man shall not live by bread alone or physical food, but by rhema, the spoken word of God. Revealed to you, then you speak it. And Peter, it was revealed to him that that was the Christ. And what did he do? He spoke it. He had the thought come to him first. So you have to understand, folks, how God moves. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. It didn't say we have the brains of Christ. It says we have the mind of Christ. Do you know there's a difference between your brain and your mind? Did you know that? Your brain is that physical organ inside your head. That's the physical organ, but the mind is the spiritual part of your brain. Okay? You know, when, you, when you're at physical death, when your body leaves, your soul, which is your mind, your will and emotions, goes with your spirit. They're attached. You still think. You still have feelings. Okay? And the Bible says right here that every word... When God communicates to us, He puts His thoughts in our mind. Right, that's, how, that's how it works. It feels like it's from down here, but it's actually here. God, God speaks to you in your spirit, and it's so deep that it feels like it's here, but it's actually you have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. Say, I have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Boy, I have the mind of Christ, the anointed one. I have the mind of Christ. That means you don't have a senior moment. Hello? That means you don't forget. You don't have to because you have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ doesn't forget anything. Anything. So when the Lord speaks to you, that's, those thoughts will come to your mind. I mean, even when I prophesied, you know, most of the time when I speak out, I'm speaking out by faith. When I prophesy, I only get like one little phrase, maybe one word, that I'll step out on the limb. And I'll just release it, and when I do, more comes. It's like you pull the plug, and here comes the rest of the water. But there's that, it's always that initial step of faith. You step out there. Amen? Because I used to think, what in the world would I do if somebody had a tongue in my church service, and I didn't have the, the utterance, you know, to what was being said? And that used to scare the daylights out of me when I first started in ministry because I'd never experienced that before. But I began to experiment with this and I began to realize that everything you do is a step of faith. You step out in faith and you say and you speak. Glory to God. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So in quick Quickly today, to receive revelation knowledge, begin to pray. Now, we're not going to go over this right now, but read, write down Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. 
And you're going to find, we saw this last week, but these are spirit-anointed prayers that were given by the Lord to the Apostle Paul. And you can, uh, he was praying this for the church at Ephesus, but these are anointed prayers that you can actually pray yourself. You can actually, I love it because it's chapter 1, chapter 3 are both of these prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now I remember hearing uh, Kenneth Hagin, my spiritual father. You know, I went to his, my wife and I went to his Bible school back in 82 and 83. And, uh, and he said that the Lord began to deal with him. And he was a pastor. These are, this is many, many, many years ago. He started out as a pastor. And then he went into the field ministry. And he said, the Lord led him to pray. Now, you've probably heard this or read this before, especially in the book on the Believer's Authority. He said the Lord would prompt him to pray these prayers twice a day. He would get on his knees. He would go over to the church. His parsonage was right next to the church. He would go over there, get on his knees. And he said, Lord, I'm going to pray these prayers. He said, I think he prayed actually more than twice a day. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. And he said he would faithfully pray this every single day, several times, every single day, get on his knees and pray these prayers that are, that are here in Ephesians. And he said, after about two or three weeks, he said, my eyes began to open up and I began to see things. Now, we're talking over 50 years ago now. There's so much revelation now, my goodness, in the day we live in. And back in those days, there was very, very few, very few people that had revelation of the Word. And he said, he said, it was like the lid just got lifted off. And he says, I began, how many of you ever read that before? He said, he made this statement. He said, it's a wonder the deacons didn't have to come and pull me out of the rain. I was so ignorant. <laughs> and so he began to pray that over and over, the Ephesian prayers, chapter 1, chapter 3. And he said, he said after, after about a month, he said, people started coming to him in the church. They said, my God, what's happened to our, our, our little pastor here? What happened? He said, well, what do you mean? He's kind of testing them. He said, well, what do you mean? He goes, I don't know. He goes, he goes, there's a power when you speak. There's such an anointing when you speak. It's not that it wasn't there before, but it's just more of it now. You know? And he began to attribute it to this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Now, if you got some, most of us have relatives that are not walking with Jesus. Okay? How many have some relatives that aren't walking with Jesus? Okay. Maybe they're saved. Maybe they're not. But let's just say they're saved, but they're not seeing certain things. Maybe, they're not, maybe they don't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they criticize the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They think that tongue stuff is of the devil and everything, you know. There are some believers that believe that. You know what I'm saying? Scares them out of their wits, speaking with tongues. I'm thinking, have you ever read the Bible before? It's all through the New Testament. It's all through the book of Acts. My God. But, you know, you get some person that comes along and talks about it, that criticizes a preacher that makes fun of it, that makes light of it. There are whole denominations that have thousands of people. That they literally, if you read what they believe in their tenets of faith, they literally do not believe that tongues are for today. They don't believe in the power of God today. That's the last place I would put my foot in. I would never step a foot in a church like that that doesn't believe in the power of God. 
I wouldn't do it. Now, I'm not saying that what they don't preach, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, they can be born again. That's good. That's fine. But, folks, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he began to pray, God, give me the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Amen? Now, in conclusion here today, I'm going to cap this off today. The way to receive revelation knowledge is to pray and ask God for it. Give me, Lord, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. If you have a hard time understanding any given subject, you know, you see other people grabbing on and so forth, but maybe you have a hard time with it. Now, there's some things that we grab a hold of quicker than other things, you know. But when you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, when your eyes are open, you see it. And that's like, that's for me. Amen. So, basically what I'm saying is this. When you have a revelation of any given subject, it takes the struggle out. You enter into spiritual rest. You receive it. It's like, that's mine. I have it now. It's mine. Thank you, Lord. Gloria Copeland said this. I love this. She said, here I'm quoting her. She says, whatever you put your attention to, desire will follow. Whatever you put your attention to, desire will follow. And she is the example of sports. You can put your attention into, now is there anything wrong with sports? No. But you can put your mindset on a game. Anything. I know because I used to be one. Okay? And I, I literally had to get to the point. I was so involved in this particular sport, I just gave it up. Because I couldn't get it out of my heart. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I had to just give it up. Say, I can't let that become before God. I'm just not going to let it happen. But she says, whatever you put your attention to, the desire will follow now, at first, it may not seem that way, but you start thinking about something, you start putting your attention into it, you know? Um, you know. For example, you know, you might be thinking, Lord, I don't really have a desire to pray. I, I don't really have a desire to read your word. I have to force myself to do it. Have you ever felt that way? Okay, now we're on the same ground here. And I've noticed this. I've proven this out, that when you start... At first, it's a discipline. You start reading the Word. Oh, this seems so dry. But I notice this, that the more you give yourself to it, the more the desire increases. I have found this to be true. My wife is an absolute witness to this. The more I pray, the more I want to pray. There's, I don't understand that, but it, it works. When I give myself over to the Lord for an hour or two in prayer, all of a sudden, it's like, I'm not done yet. I want to do more. I don't quite understand that, but that's just how it works. And what you put your attention into, now go to Matthew 5 here. There's just a couple of scriptures I want to close with today. Matthew chapter 5, um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And I want to say this to you, to have revelation knowledge in your life, you have to become hungry and thirsty for God. Hungry and thirsty for God. I don't want a church just full of people for the sake of having just a bunch of people. I'm very specific. I want hungry, thirsty people. And I'm very specific about that when I pray that and claim that. 
We've had thousands of people come through our doors in the last several years. Thousands. Thousands. Okay? I could show you the visitor's cards. Thousands of people. But you know what I want? Hungry and thirsty people. Now, here's the thing. I don't care if they have problems up to here. If that person comes in, they've got all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues. If they're hungry and they're thirsty, God can help them. But if they're not hungry and they're not thirsty, there's very little God can do. Because it's, it's, it's your hunger and your thirst that will bring God stronger in your life. Now look at this, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus said you're blessed if you hunger and you thirst after righteousness. It says you will be filled. Now, what interests you, what's in your heart, will always come out your mouth. You can always locate a person by what's in their mouth, by what's in their heart, by what comes out of their mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. What's in a person in abundance will always come out. That's just the way it works. Now go to Psalm real quick. There's just two more verses here. In Psalm 42, Psalm 42, verse 1. And it says, As a heart, that's a deer, as a heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. David said, My soul thirsteth for, for God, the living God, when I shall come and appear before God. Notice what David said. He said, My soul longs after you. Amen. My soul thirsts for you. Remember Jesus said, if you hunger and you thirst after God, you will be filled. Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2. We'll close with this one. It says, O God, Thou art my God. He personalizes. O God, You are my God. Early I will seek You. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. To see, notice this, to see thy power and thy glory as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. So there are times where David would see the power of God in the sanctuary of God. He says, I long for that. I thirst for that. Praise the Lord. And I'll say in conclusion today that I believe with all of my heart, this is so, so close to the heart of God, what we hunger and we thirst for is what is drawn to us. You can hunger and you can thirst after natural things. You can hunger and thirst after sports, after hobbies. There's nothing wrong with those things. And you understand what I'm saying? I'm not preaching against that. But you can get to the point where you're hungering and you're thirsting more after those natural things than you are God's presence and God's Word and God's Spirit. I want to be of the camp, and I want to be part of that group of people that I am hungry and I am thirsty for the living God. Amen. My wife and I wouldn't even be a, we wouldn't even be a couple today, going on 36 years this, this summer. We wouldn't even be a couple today because before we even knew each other, she had a hunger for God. I mean, she had a hunger for God. Now, I won't go into detail, but 
Man, God had to work her around different things to get her in a position to get in the church that she was in, and likewise on my part as well. But when you go back upstream and you see where it all started, and I didn't know that back then, but there was such a hunger and a thirst in my heart. I wanted God more than anything else. I got to have more of God. I just, I don't know. I don't understand it. No one taught me that. It was just in my spirit. I've got to have more of God. And when I started seeking God, God crossed our paths at the right time and, and hooked us up together supernaturally, supernaturally. But she was on a mission. I was on a mission. It wasn't for one another. Our mission was for God. And when our mission was for God, God saw to it that our paths crossed at the right time. And the rest is history, <laughs> as they say. But here's the thing. It's one thing to get hungry for God back yonder, but it's another thing to stay hungry today. And I want to conclude with that prayer. I want to pray for that for us today. That our hunger level, and then I'm going to dismiss because Pastor Lynn's going to go in the back room and pray whoever wants to go back there today. Jesus said you're blessed if you hunger and you thirst after righteousness. You're blessed because you will be filled. Or I would say it like this, when you hunger and you thirst after God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, our heart's desire today, Lord, is to stay hungry and to stay thirsty, intensely for you, the living God. All this stuff in the world, this world that we live in is all going to burn. But it's our walk with you, it's our relationship with you that has lasting eternal results. So Father, we want to seek the things that are eternal. Seek the things that are going to last throughout eternity, not the things on this earth. Hallelujah. And so I ask you, Heavenly Father, today that you give us a greater capacity, yes, Lord, a greater capacity to hunger and to thirst after you. Hallelujah. Can I lead you in a prayer right now? Let's do this. Hey, say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I, desire I desire to be more thirsty and to be more hungry than ever before for you. The living, God. the living God. Create within me, Create within me. an unquenchable, unquenchable desire, desire to, know to know you better, to know your word better. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, burn that in our spirits. Burn it in our spirits. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I, I hear the Holy Ghost right now saying this. You don't have to be concerned anymore with those things that have dogged you. You don't have to be concerned anymore with those things that have seemingly plagued you and stayed around. You don't have to be concerned whatsoever. For you see, your hunger for me and your thirst for me will stop the works of the enemy from coming unto thee. And as you hunger and as you thirst for me, I'll give you more, saith the Lord. Yes, more desire, more fire than you've ever had before. 
So come and drink from the waters that are never quenched. Come and dine with me from the bread of heaven. Yes, that is me. For you see, I'll give you bread and I'll give you water that will satisfy your soul, saith the Lord. And you'll not have to struggle. For you see, as you hunger and you thirst after me, I'll take the struggle out of those things that have seemingly dogged you and held you back and have plagued you for seemingly a long time. But your hunger and your thirst for me, saith the Lord, and I say this unto you, as you hunger and you thirst after me, I will guarantee you the victory. I will guarantee you the victory for those things that you face. And you'll be lifted up and you'll look back and say, my God, look at what he did for me. Look at what the Lord has done for me. And there'll be great rejoicing in the camp of God. For you see, when you take me at my word and believe what I said as final proof, then and only then will you see the enemy tuck his tail and run. For they see the enemy's terrified. The enemy is afraid, for he sees his day approaching. He, see, he sees that his day is drawing nigh and it's coming short more than ever before. But my church and my people will rise up like a mighty giant. For it was said of old, oh, there's giants in the land. But know this, yes, there are giants in the land today, spiritual giants. And there are those in this building. There are those in this place right now. They're going to rise up like a mighty giant and slay those giants that have stood before you. With my anointing, with my power, with my glory. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> That's what the Lord says. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, we thank you that we are hunger and our thirst for you will stop the enemy in his tracks. For it was said to my word that the enemy cometh, but he findeth no place in me. That's what I said when I was on this earth. The enemy cometh, but he finds no place in me. For you see, I didn't give place to the enemy while on this earth. I filled my mind and I filled my heart with my Father's word. And so shall you. For you have the exact, you have the exact same word available to you that I had available to me. So fill up, fill up, fill up. Fill up with my spirit, fill up with my word, and the enemy will have no place in you. He'll have to run, he'll have to flee. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just had to release that out of my spirit. I had to just say that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you. Praise you. Praise you. Praise you. Praise you. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. So give your, put your attention on me. Give over your emotions even unto me. Even when you don't feel like it, there I will be. Give yourself even unto me. Turn over your emotions to me. Turn over your will to me. And watch and see what I do in your life. Watch and see how I will turn things around for you. Watch and see my glory manifest even in your life, in your house. Yes, even in your home. 
says the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Okay, Lord, we'll do that. We'll do that. Hallelujah. Yes, 